I'm stretched out like a great big river Wait on and let's swim together And lines are blurred, the infinity of choice Entering the temporal void
live from Desolation Row slash Margaritaville. I'm Duff Dixon. This is Play It By Year, the show where I look back on the history of popular music one year at a time. You just heard Nati Menya by Ala Pugacheva, the, uh, the biggest pop star of the Soviet era. That song released 1987. Welcome to 1987 night on Play It By Year. This is... Drum roll, please. My birth year, Duff Dixon, born 1987, 33 years ago for y'all, uh, 10 billion and 33 years ago for me. Happy birthday to Duff Dixon, although not really because I was born in March, but whatever. This is this is the episode that's going to take place this year, so it's my birthday episode. Uh, I got to uh, shoot my Westbrook Brook Bruins, y'all. They fell to the Tomball Memorial Wildcats on Thursday. That was a tough one. That's a 6A division team, so it was like a non-conference game. The Wildcats, markedly the underdogs coming into that. Looked like the Bruins might be staging a comeback there at the end of the second half. They were 23 down at one point, came all the way back to trailing by three, but ultimately the Wildcats did lock it down 66 to 63 over the Bruins. Can't feel too bad for an underdog pulling off a win like that. I mean, you know, it does stir you, even if it's your boys who are going down. Although quarterback Bryce Anderson still looked incredible out there. That kid is an incredible athlete on fire, that young man. Uh, Lost Chapters of History, a segment I like to do on the show at the top where I kind of tell you something that's not on the official records that I know from my time in the CIA, both as a secret operative and then later as a time traveler. Uh, 1987, Black Monday, the, the stock market crash of 1987, I believe that was October 19th, so we're coming up on the, the actual anniversary of that, and uh, and all the world's markets plummeted that day. There was so much speculation about what, what actually caused that crash. There were some people who said, well, it's been five years of gains, and so it was time for the market to correct for itself, or people were worried about interest rates, and so they were pulling out. In truth, the real reason behind that crash is a heavily guarded secret. Uh, the reality was that the, uh, the, the, the Intergalactic Council of Commerce uh, reached out to only the wealthiest 2% of the world's people and invited the human race to join the universal stock market, which is like a collective that spans all the planets and the galaxies, uh, and so, truth be told, all the rich folks just kind of sold all their crummy earth stocks and then invested in all these cool new alien stocks. I mean, on, on one level, you can't blame them. Of course, the reality of that was like, you know, devastating to, to the rest of us poor folk. Let's see. What were some of those uh, big blue chip companies in the universal stock market? Well, there's Acknorgelbana. Uh, which Acnorgelbana is the, that's the Zeta reticulin company that manufactures anal probes. And I mean, like when I say manufactures anal probes, they make the anal probe, the one that is used for practically all like invasive abduction probing. It's made by them. Uh, they're like the standard of quality. So that's a pretty big one. Who else? Oh, the, the Plagerians, they got a company called, uh, uh, I can't quite remember how to say it. That's a streaming service. That's kind of like, uh, I guess intergalactic Netflix, but it, it lets you kind of, you know, put yourself into any movie or television show that you would like to watch. And I mean, narcissism is pretty much a universal characteristic across all species and all planets. So that's a pretty popular one. Anyway, birthday year, 1987. I do have a discussion topic for y'all. 
What story does your family like to tell about when you were little? It could be a baby story. It could be, I guess it could be a birth story, but like, you know, when you were a kid or when you were a toddler, it, it seems like everybody's family got one that they like to kind of tell over and over again. Sometimes I guess in the cliche, maybe it's a little bit embarrassing, makes you feel a little bit self-conscious to hear that story. I know that my mother loves to tell this story about how when I was like two or something, I think I, 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 well, I relieved myself into the sandal of a fella that she was dating, which feels like, you know, was that, was I trying to send a message or was I just being a two year old? I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that story. It doesn't embarrass me to tell that story or hear that story, but it kind of feels like those stories don't really belong to us, do they? They're stories about us in which we are the main character, but it feels like they're somebody else's story and like you just kind of, oh, okay, I guess that was me at that time. Anyway, if y'all have anything for that topic, feel free to call in this evening. Let's get the music going. My first block for y'all tonight is going to be a Jangle Pop block. Jangle Pop, named for the the guitar tone the kind of it sounds like a bell, right? It's jingly jangly. It's real trebly. It's a sometimes there's some reverb. Usually it's pretty clean, not too distorted. This was a, a tone that was favored by the music at the time. That I guess like emergently they were starting to call this music alternative rock. That kind of came to mean something else. Alternative in 1987 is kind of more like what we now think of indie rock music. And jangle was just the it was the guitar sound of of. Preference for that time, I got some good jangle pop for y'all, so stick around here on 1987 Night, Play It By Ear with Duff Dixon.
All right, that was the jangle pop block. It jingled, it jangled, it it popped, I suppose, as well. Uh, 1987 night. Who was that? Well, that last one was uh, Tallulah Gosh by Tallulah Gosh. I love an eponymous song. Before that, we had House of Love with Shine On, The Bats with Made Up in Blue, and we started that block off with The Smiths, the godfathers of Jangle Pop themselves. Stop me if you think you've heard this one before. Some good stuff. I'm going to get right into our first caller here. If I can figure it, there it is. All right. Caller, you're on with Dove Dixon. Who am I talking to right now? You're talking to Renee. Talking to Renee <laughs> from, if I if I recognize that brogue, perhaps from the land down under. Uh, yeah, you would be correct. Best Very place nice. in the world to be right now. I guess it'd be like the, the early afternoon for you right now. Yeah, I just went out for breakfast and I've come back and I'm just kind of digesting on my bed with my bird. Look at you. Oh, with your bird? You got a yeah. bird there? You got What's a your bird bird's name? Here? <laughs> my bird's name is Teacup. Um, oh, Teacup. And he's very, very interested in my laptop, and he's fascinated to see that I'm using it without actually using it. Well, he's more than welcome to join us here. Renee, I had a, a discussion topic for tonight. I don't know if this is something that resonates with you, but because it's 1987, which, uh, mm-hmm. of course, is my year of birth, I, I'm thinking about when I was young and when I was you know, new on this earth. And I was just thinking, do you have any stories that your family likes to tell about when you were a little kid or when you were a toddler or baby or whatnot? Oh, there's tons, but the one that I tell the most is probably the one I get the most laughs out of it. (laughs) Um, Oh, good. It's like a, it's like a part of your, your, your conversational act at parties or whatever. Yeah, it's like my bit. Like, introducing <laughs> myself. It's like, this is the kind of child I was. All right, so then let's, let's imagine that we're, we're holding, like, little clear plastic cups uh, <laughs> that have too much ice in them and, like, a little bit of, of Sprite or whatever, and we're standing yeah. around at a party. This is, like, pre-COVID times, man, when we had, like... <laughs> Yeah, group socializing. Yeah, we do this stuff. <laughs> we've had we've had like a we got a good conversation going, and it's just come up naturally. Hit me with that classic. Renee was a little kid story. <laughs> uh, well, do you, you guys know what layby is? Uh, I have no idea what layby is, man. Okay, What's well, I'm going to start by explaining what layby is. So basically, in like the 80s and 90s, when I was a kid growing up in Australia, all the department stores had something called layby, which is essentially like after pay of the 80s and 90s but instead of paying it in installments and already getting it you'd have to pay in installments and then you'd get it at the end so you'd oh, go we have that that's called like layaway we have that yeah, too. yeah yeah i knew that it existed but it had a different name in the united states so Such yeah it's a similar okay. name why didn't we just pick one and go with it lay by we we're, we're on the same page about lay by what what happens yeah, next yeah it's like layaway so uh i was really little and my uh, mum was lining up to collect something from Layby and there were a few people in line ahead of us and I was about maybe like three or four and recently we just started having the conversation about body parts and how different people have different body parts according All right, to we're already heading we're already heading in a classic <laughs> embarrassing little kid story direction yeah, so like. because like that's around the age that you get curious about it and what other children have and what you don't so uh Well, lining up, and I'm a very precocious child who doesn't have a filter and is about three or four years old and has just learned about, you know, penises and vaginas. So I turn around to my mum in the middle of the lay-by queue and I point to the man standing in front of us and I go, Mummy, does that man have a penis? In like my loud. Classic. 
<laughs> and the man standing in front of us goes like bright red. And my mom has like no idea how to respond to this question. She's, you know, in the middle of, you know, a public place, but she wanted to, she didn't want to lie and she didn't want to embarrass me. So she was like, yes, honey, he probably has a penis. And so do all the other men in this store. She was very, you know, practical about her response. And I'm like, oh, okay. And the man in front of us was so mortified that he actually like left the line. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Really did a number on him. So I think my mom was actually grateful in the end. <laughs> we got to the front of the queue faster. Yeah, why so wouldn't that- you just if he was that if he was that kind of wigged out that he really had to leave the line? Why wouldn't you just like at least turn around and have an eye contact moment like kids, right? And then you're just kind of on with your day. You know? I think he was just so surprised and embarrassed that he didn't know what else to do because everybody heard it and. Like, if you're a three or four year old, you don't know what, what you're saying isn't like appropriate to say. Oh, yeah, it's all the same, right? It's like, what are we having for lunch? Does that guy have a penis? You know, it's interesting <laughs> to think, Renee. It's possible that he did not have a penis and was waiting to pick it up on layby. It's possible. I never thought of it that way. He'd been paying if, off his, his what penis. If, what if he was? What if he it was? It was finally the big day. Here comes a kid to kind of take him down in a way that he's already sensitive what about. What if it was a surprise and like we ruined the surprise and then it's like, oh, I've spent all these installments on this new penis and now I can't pick it up. Like I've just spent, you know, four installments. Because then how do you how do you live it down when you get to the front of that line and you're like, hi, uh, it's under Daryl, it's a penis. You can't do that at that point, right? Renee, what a what a ray of sunshine you've been. Please give my love to Teacup and. Uh, and <laughs> He's uh, gnawing on my laptop screen as we speak. He, he he really wants to be part of this, but he's been suspiciously quiet. I wonder if he knows that he shouldn't interrupt. I'm sure the second we hang up, he'll start singing his heart out. Uh, Renee, thank you so much. Call back anytime. We're going to get it back into the music. Let's see, what do we got here? Okay, y'all, it is time for some East Coast hip-hop. This isn't like a really tightly organized genre of music. This is going to kind of move between several different styles and approaches and philosophies of hip hop music. But at this time in 1987, you know, there were still, there were California acts coming on onto the scene and, uh, and the, you know, it was becoming more of a, a fully net, but really the focus was still New York city. It was still a New York art form, the Bronx and what have you. I just want to give you a little tour of New York city in 1987 with the East coast hip hop block on Play It By Year with me, Duff Dixon. We're JJ Fat and we're here to rock. Rhymes like ours can never be stopped. See, it's three of us and I know we're fresh. Party rockers, non-stoppers, and our names are deaf. See, the J is for just, the other for jamming. The F is for fresh, A-N-D, deaf. Behind the turntables is DJ Train. Mixing and scratching is the name of the game. Now, here's a little something about nosy people. It's not real hard, it's plain and simple. Baby D. Supersonic. Supersonic. Supersonic motivating rhymes are creating. And everybody knows that JJ Fat is devastating. We know you like us, girl, so you better get sterile. Cause we are the home chicks that are rocking your world. Supersonic. Supersonic. When people start to listen, especially bigger people, they pay close up. 
back to Cali, rising, surprising, advising, realizing she's sizing me up. Her bikini small, heels tall. She said she liked the ocean. She showed me a beach, gave me a peach, and pulled out the suntan lotion. Now, things fast, but this girl was faster. She was looking for a real good time.
this is a perfect time to meet with Scott LaRock. But Scott is either psychic or he has a knack for trouble. Cause Scott LaRock showed up in an all-black BMW. I jumped inside the car and we screeched up in a hurry. And Scott said, what is wrong? Relax, tell me the story. I said, you remember Peter? Well, if Posse tried to kill me, I'm all right now because the sensor may fill me. Scott just laughed. He said, I know they're all dead. And just before you pull the trigger, this is what you said. Yo, Rockin, what's up? Yo, I'm doing the knowledge, E, man. I'm trying to get paid in full. Well, check this out. Since Norby Waltz is our agency, right? True. Carol Lewis is our agent. Word up. Zakia and Fourth and Broadway is our record company. Indeed. Okay, so who we rolling with then? We rolling with Rush. Our Rush Town Management. So check this out. Since we talking over this deaf beat right here that I put together, I want to hear some of them deaf rhymes. You know what I'm saying? And together, we can get paid in full. Paid in full. 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 of a master plan this ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand so i dig into my pocket all my money spent so i could deep up still coming up with lint so i start my mission leave my residence thinking how could i get some dead presidents i need money i used to be a stick-up kid so i think of all the devious things i did i used to roll up this is a hole up ain't nothing funny stop smiling we still don't nothing move but the money but now i learn to earn cause i'm righteous I feel great, so maybe I might just search for a nine to five. If I strive, then maybe I'll stay alive. So I walk up the street, whistling this, feeling out of place, cause man do I miss. A pen and a paper, a stereo, a taper, me and Eric being a nice big plate of fish, which is my favorite dish, but without no money, it's still a wish. Cause I don't like to dream about getting paid, so I dig into the books of the rhymes that I made. So now to test to see if I got pulled, Hit the studio, cause I'm paid in full. Akim, check this out. Yo, you go to your girl's house and I go to mine, cause my girl is definitely mad cause it took us too long to do this album. Yo, I hear what you're saying, so let's just pump the music up and count our money. Yo, but check this out. Yo, Eli, turn the bass down and just let the beat keep on rocking. And we outta here. Yo, what happened to Peace? Peace, 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 peace.
Hey, that was the East Coast Hip Hop Block here on 1987 Night, played by Year. You just heard Eric B. and Rakim with Paid in Full. Before that, Boogie Down Productions with 9mm Goes Bang, LL Cool J with Going Back to Cali. And we started that block off with Supersonic by JJ Fad. Nice to hear how the sound was evolving at that time. Still sounds dated, but it's definitely come a long way since the 1984 hip-hop block we did it back on the very first episode if i'm not mistaken uh we're coming right along i you know how i like to pretend that i'm like a legitimate operation here and have like a talk show or something like that so i decided we'd do something along those lines got a very special guest to introduce to y'all today she's been featured on buzzfeed she has modeled for a lot of different uh clothing retailers like chubby cartwheels for example she is from portland oregon she's one to watch uh please welcome to the show Katana Fatal, welcome to the show. Hi, hello, Mr. Dixon. Oh, it's so it's such thank you for calling me Mr. Dixon. So with that southern drawl of yours, I have to call you Mr. Dixon. I feel I feel like very legitimate right now. Do you think <laughs> they called people Johnny when when Carson would have people on? But I'll take Mr. Dixon any no, day of the week. Take Mr. Dixon for for us. You staying you safe? Are... You're doing okay through all this and whatnot. I mean, it's uh, am I doing okay? <laughs> well, bodily, are you not in peril at the moment? Um, uh, I am in that I'm still here, and uh, <laughs> and anything yeah. could happen to any of us, I suppose, right? Right. No, I, 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 uh, I hate it here, Duff. I hate it here. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating time. If you have a lot of emotion, if you're extremely emotionally removed, it's a fascinating time. Otherwise, it's just kind of a nightmare. Uh, I do want to talk to you more about your career as a, as a modeler and all that sort of thing, as a, as a influencer and whatnot. It's very interesting. There's so many facets to what you do, Katana, and I feel like a lot of people don't actually consider all the different jobs that models are doing because there's editorial photographs and there's like advertisements and then you're doing runway and you got to go make appearances at events and some, some models are doing all their own styling. And I'm, I'm feel like I, I only know a little bit of the, the picture. I'm just kind of scratching the surface there. I, because it's so such a versatile job, I'm wondering, like, is there a part of the job that, that you find brings you the most joy and then is, Conversely, is there a part of the job that you kind of dread having to do? Like, mm -hmm. what's what's what? How's that break down for you? I love the be before the photos are taking moments. I like that there's a whole team involved and there's a concept, and then coming to life when we're catching kind of a golden hour. Or you know, I've I've climbed crazy ass mountains to get to um, like waiting for a shooting star or something like that. And the amount of time and, and patience it takes to get the perfect shot. I like the, the, the hard work. Um, because then when you look at the photo, it just looks effortless. And, uh, I have the stamina and I'm versatile and I, and I, I'll, I'll stand for hours without complaint. I'll walk for hours without complaint. I'll repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And I take it seriously. Um, and I'd say that's my favorite part. I, I, the other thing I, that I love and I I also simultaneously hate, which is that I have the honor of being a face or, or one of many faces that represents, you know, the plus size community, fat people, uh, especially that identify as fat. Um, a lot of people, especially that, you know, I get messages all the time from young people that you know live in north dakota and ohio or or la but like you know places where people 
um, are feeling othered all the time because of their size. And I, uh, it takes my breath away sometimes when I get these, these heartfelt messages of people saying how I've helped them, you know, be alive sometimes or have helped them transcend themselves or overcome certain insecurities or embrace certain insecurities, um, and just not let the, uh, them define them. Um, it's just, it's powerful. Uh, I don't know, not even powerful cause it's, it's so humbling, but it's also emotional labor. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. I suffer. I mean, I live with depression and anxiety. Okay. Uh, I'm in therapy. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Um, but that means that I don't have, I guess we, the kids say spoons all the time to, to lift other people up. I also find very interesting that people who follow me, um, and who admire me, you know, they want to know more about me. Uh, but when they do learn more about me, I slowly stop to serve the purpose I had for them, which was to be something to look up to, to follow. Um, and I become more human and relatable and they think they want that. And maybe some people do, but I do find overall that they actually don't want that. Um, because I serve a, a sole purpose for them and I, and I honor that. I think it's, I don't negate that. I don't, I'm not trying to diminish that. You know, I think I'll spend the rest of my life probably trying to find the right kind of dance on that line of showing up, um, for other people while also, um, creating boundaries, um, and sticking to them. It's, it's yeah, different. that's so complicated. That's extremely complicated stuff. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's a big responsibility of course too. And it's sort of like, you know, you wanted to, to model a piece of piece of clothing so that somebody could see themselves in it and say, Oh, that's my body type. I know what that's going to look like when I buy it, when I own it. But you're also in doing that, you're, you're being drafted into being a role model, into being a community leader. And that, that reminds me of something else I wanted to ask you about, which is like, when, when I think about the plus size modeling industry, it's kind of unique in that it's so closely attached or like associated with this like particular school of social activism. And I know it's got a lot of names it's like, you know, fat acceptance or fat pride or whatever they call it. And I'm just wondering, does being a plus size model kind of also automatic, automatically draft you into being an activist? And, and do you feel comfortable with that label and that responsibility? That's a great question. Um, yeah, inherently, because I'm a marginalized person modeling and that I, you know, push a mold or break a mold or whatever from doing that, um, especially when I started, it was still not as saturated at all. Inherently, everything I do is political. And if, it depends on what hour of the day that you ask me. Some days I'm grateful for it. Other days it feels like a burden because it can be erasive of my own identity as just a person. You know, I don't wake up every night and I go, you're a fat bitch and you're going to go out there and wipe those tears. All right. Um, <laughs> I don't, it's just, I'm going to wipe other people's tears and everyone's just going to glow after basking in, in my radical fatness or whatever. I, I don't, uh, that's not how I exist every day, whether I like it or not. When I feel kind of weighted down by, I do try to rem remember that when I was a teenager, I didn't even have anyone to look at. There was literally no one 
besides Ricky Lake, <laughs> to say, oh, there's me. Um, and if she can do that, I can do that. Um, and, and, and when I went shopping, there was no, you know, there was toured and that's it. So if you didn't decide to be a fat hot topic person, essentially, then you are screwed or you could do Lane Bryant and be a 45 year old Karen, you know, at 17, that, those are my only options. And I just had no representation. I had, I didn't even know I could be a model. I didn't even think that was an option. And so I try to remember that when I feel weighted down by, the responsibility I can have sometimes, I, I'll die on that hill. I, there's, we all have to die on a hill. Uh, I'll die on the fat liberation hill. Um, Extremely commendable, and it's and it's also quite moving to think about that. Yeah, the the idea that that maybe you take a little bit more on your back than is fair for somebody who just wants to pursue a career in modeling, but at the same time you are blazing a trail and helping somebody like you who's younger have an easier world to come up in. That's extremely touching. Right. right. And because I'm not going to always be a model, but I'm always going to be uh, participating in body politics. I'm always going to be wanting to push the um, the envelope on that, the body positivity mo uh, movement. You know, I'm a part of that, and I also I'll use the hashtags. It, it, it gives me engagement on my content, absolutely. And because I was kind of, um, you know, in the early, you know, 2014, 2013 was kind of when it really started um, creeping into society. And then the early stages, it, we use, you know, body positivity and this idea that, you know, we're gonna we're going to fucking love ourselves to death. Like we're going to love these bodies so that they can have value. And I don't think there's anything wrong. I think it comes from an innocent place that we started there. Okay. And now we're kind of in a situation where the only way we're kind of swallowed by non-fat people and, and by society and by media and, and, and brands and so forth is still with this whole body positive, um, love the skin you're right, in. Right. Right. Uh, that erases and others a lot of people who deserve to essentially not find their body lovable and still have value. There's a fluidity to our relationships with our bodies. And it's kind of just this notion of that this, you know, um, Coca-Cola shaped fat person that with white skin and is born, you know, and identify as, as whatever gender they were born into or whatever, that that's easy to love and you got to love that or not easy to love, but you should love that. And to, and once you arrive at loving yourself there and you will have your value and, and that that is radical when it's not. And this is actually new for me. I would say only in the last year and a half, two years that through other advanced people in my community have shown me, you know, let's look at this. What's, Let's reflect how we are becoming "quote unquote" mainstream through this narrative of having to love our bodies. Very interesting. It's very interesting the way that that it does develop and evolve, and the way that the you know, like you build new archetypes, but then are those archetypes just as rigid as the old ones in a way? It it actually ties into something I was thinking about a lot, Katana, and I was hoping to ask you about. Because uh, I really need some perspective here. This is going to be the moment in this interview where I potentially just like shove my foot <laughs> into my mouth and like get get caught mansplaining and talking about stuff I know nothing about. But there there is this moment where when I hear about certain slogans that have come out of the the 
body positivity or the fat acceptance movement that work within the framing of beauty, like big is beautiful or beautiful at any size. I, it's like I have two reactions. And my first reaction is to think, yes, oh my God, absolutely, totally true, needs to be said. We all know it. It's ridiculous that, that the messaging is taking so long to catch up with this. But then there's this other voice in me that thinks like, doesn't this kind of perpetuate like a social expectation that women must be beautiful in order to have value in our society. And like, even as we, as we expand our concept of beauty, like some women are still going to be ostracized from those groups and relegated to an aesthetic underclass. So in some, in some ways, like you almost wish that it went one step further and said like, you know, like fat people are awesome and beauty is, is anti-human and pro-capitalist. Sure, sure. Yeah. But here's the thing. I think about this very same thing, but do I think that I would have a, a career right now? Do I think that we would see a quote unquote plus size models running down um, New York fashion week right now? If we had come out of the gates with this, you know, rather punk approach to right. this, where we are fat liberationists and fuck beauty and fuck loving yourselves. We have value while we want to not be alive. We have value and validity and, and uh, dis being disappointed in our bodies and being held, feeling that we're held back by them in whatever manner. Um, and that that's valid. And I don't have to overcome anything to, to have value. I don't know that we would have, we be where we are. I think like many movements of other com uh, communities, it has to start off being digestible. It has to look and sound like something we already know initially. Right, because we're, we're scared of what we are not familiar with, right? We see that time and time again with, with the human race. Um, and it had to come from this idea of, that's right, okay, my bad, my bad, yeah, 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 no, for sure. That's size 16, you know what? She's, she's beautiful, and she deserves. What's her name, Kelly? Kelly, you deserve to feel beautiful, okay? Um, and, but then it erased, you know, people that don't have a, um, a Coca-Cola bottle shaped, um, fatness. And with the idea of the body positive movement, we have gradually expanded into different ideas of what, you know, fat beauty looks like. Um, but we are not even like scratching the surface in my opinion, as someone that is a bigger fat person too, we're not, we're not seeing representation unless there's like this tokenized, like, look, we've hired one black plus size model. And so look what, you know, it's, it's, it's right. performative. Um, I also, it's really important for me to make it very clear that it was, you know, it was black fat women that even started the body positive, uh, community. And then it was, uh, like Eurocentric beauty standard, fat people, uh, smaller fat people that, um, kind of became the face of it and became quote unquote, helped it become digested. I have to take this time to make sure that I am telling you our, like a clear, um, understanding of our history that it, all of this is from fat black women. Um, and so the fact that they're, that, uh, fat black bodies are still being tokenized and as like a one one person that's fat and black being hired is just absolutely unacceptable when um, we only got here because of them.
unfair. It's frustrating. It's disappointing. It's also all too recognizable. I mean, this is a pattern that has repeated itself over and over and over again in arts and fashion and music and culture to the, the hijacking of, of black thought movements and then the ostracizing of black people out of those movements. When will we learn Katana Fatale? When will we learn and when will we progress and when will we grow? Uh, I thank you so much. This was so lovely and so illuminating to talk to you. This has been the best date, I mean, interview I've had in a long time. Come on. That's amazing. Look at me. Little old Duff Dixon. Best interview she's had in a long time. I want to send some clicks your way. Where should I send people to you? Like your Instagram or you got a website? Sure, or what? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. as Katana Fatale. Uh, K-A-T-A-N-A-F-A-T-A-L-E on Instagram. Um, and if you put that in the Google, you'll find everything else that you want to know about me. Come back anytime. That was an amazing discussion. Katana Fatale, I thank you so much. Play it by year 1987. Let's get right back into the music. I got, uh, I've been really excited about this one all week, y'all, because this is like, now we're talking about my kind of stuff. Uh, I got a Chicago house block for y'all. 1987, what a year for Chicago house. This is, of course, this is like, you know, pop forward dance music emerging out of the Detroit techno scene, really finding its uh, its stride at this time. It was actually named after a Chicago venue, the warehouse. It was very popular. And, uh, and you know, you'll know it when you hear it. I mean, it's all over the pop music we know and love today, house music. This was the year that house got its first ever UK number one single, which you got to think that's a mind-blowing achievement for for. Uh, a style of music that maybe does not always necessarily hew to the verse, chorus, verse, chorus structure that pop music consumers are used to. This is, you know, repetitive body moving music. The fact that it started to take such commercial foothold is very exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to play you some of my favorite house tunes in 1987. So stick around here, play it by year. Chicago house with Duff Dixon.
1987 night with Duff Dixon on Play It By Year. That was Joe Smooth with Promised Land. Before that, you heard Jamie Principal and Frankie Knuckles with Your Love. And we started that block off with Steve Silk Hurley. Jack your body. Jack, jack your body. I hope that's what you did. I hope you got out of your chair and you were jacking your body. I guess I don't actually know what that means. So I'm, I'm working on the assumption that that is a dance move. If it means something else, I'm not necessarily saying I hope you did it. Uh, let's see what's going on. Well, I did have a topic, just one tonight, just the one topic tonight. We're sticking with it. It's my birthday show. Of course, 1987, 1987, my birth year. The question was just, uh, what's, uh, what's the story that your family tells about you when you were little? Uh, you don't of course it's always optional. You're always welcome to tell those stories on, on the air or talk about something else. I do have a caller on the line. I'd like to bring on here. We go caller. You're on with Duff Dixon. Who am I talking to? Oh man, I'm gonna jack my body to this. Hello and welcome to a special time traveling episode of Chris's Pals Likey Movie Trivia. Sorry, are you, are, this is a show that's invading my show right now. Is that what's happening right now? I'm your host, Corny McHostface. And we have a lovely contestant here in Duff Dixon. Hi, Duff. Uh, tell me what your favorite movie is. <laughs> Corny McHostface, welcome, first of all, to Play It By Year. And I suppose also welcome, uh, was it Chris, Chris Friends Lackey Movies as well to oh, Play I'm, It By Year? I'm on your show, too? I'm on your show? Yeah, I think we might be doing some kind of an unwitting simulcast right now. This might be a crossover event akin to the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Wow which my favorite movie does not belong to my favorite movie of all time. It's a, it's a tale of, uh, of Southern woes. It is called night of the hunter. Oh, night of the hunter. Of course. Yeah. So that's uh, the one with the, the knuckles with the tattoos, right? Yeah. The, the, the love and the hate classic film. What's going on right now. I'm a contestant on a game show. Is that what's happening? You are, we having a little bit of a bonus 
kind of a game show here. Uh, I host a show called Chris's Pals Likey Movie Trivia, and it's a brand new show. You can find it on YouTube. We're already seven episodes deep, and we're about to have an 80s style episode eight uh, coming this weekend. So, Dang, is this uh, my seventh yeah. episode? Are we both having seventh episodes at the same time right now? I'd have to check, but I feel like it might be. It's it's nuts. Some of the greatest minds have some of the greatest ideas at the greatest times. Like this. Kindred spirits, but I'm a little worried because it sounds like what's about to happen is I'm about to be subjected to some movie trivia questions and I'm just, oh boy, I didn't prepare at all. I, I, but I'm of course, it's your time. I'm happy to do it. What's What's about to happen to me here? Oh, it's a very fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of deal. Honestly, it has more to do with luck than knowing so much about movies. Um, But I was just going to do a quick little five-question kind of thing, kind of like that old guy Craig Kilborn used to do. Craig Kilborn. Now, there's a name that even I, who have spent much time jumping around and and seeing the past and reliving it, that's a name I have not thought about in some time. But, yes, he did have that segment, right, where he said the five questions or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's the OG of the most popular show on the comedy channel there, yeah. The Daily Show, and then his head would explode or something like that. It's all very hazy to me. All right, let's do it. Chris, Chris's friends, Lackey Movie Trivia here with me, Duff Dixon, and you said your name was Corny McHostface? Corny McHostface. Not to be confused with any of my... I've, I've got a few doppelgangers, and I know. I mean, you've traveled through time, right? So, sure, uh, sure. There can be doppelgangers in, in that line of work, right? Corny McHose face. I'm imagining you were not baptized under that name. That's sort of a professional nomaker. You know, let's change the subject. We'll go on to question one here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you ready for this, Duff Dixon? I don't think I am, but go ahead and fire away. We usually have categories on our show, but this is just going to be kind of a speed, kind of lightning round. Uh, what's a good movie with, with lightning in it? I could call, Bolt. We'll call this round Bolt. Oh, like a little dog who thought he was a real superhero. Yeah, it was, it was John Travolta as the voice. Is that right? Yeah. Probably. John Travolta. Oh, my God. Okay. So, question one. Here we go. What color were Elizabeth Taylor's eyes? I'm lucky that this is the question because I happen to know a little bit about Elizabeth Taylor's eyes. Uh, Elton John wrote a song about her called Blue Eyes, and then famously there was a little bit of controversy because people claim and she claimed that she had what is known as very rare, natural, purple eyes, purple eyes, final answer. Oh, yes, you are one for one so far. Yes, purple is the answer. Elizabeth Taylor a very rare breed of a person had purple eyes. Corny, now watch me like immediately fumble this early lead. Just watch. I've never really quizzed a time traveler before, so this is going to be very interesting. Uh, okay, here's question two. Can you tell me the total of donuts consumed by comedy great Tim Allen on the set of the Santa Claus 3, the escape clause? Are we only counting donuts that he would have eaten at the craft service table, or would we also count like a drive through donut that he might or might not have gotten on the way to the shoot? Uh, let me just check my facts here. Uh, we're we're going to go through, uh, yes, ju- just uh, the table on set. Well, I'm just going off the fact that this is mid-1990s. The man is newly sober from cocaine addiction. He's probably, you know, swapping out one dependency for another one. Sugar, of course, a a common. And, I mean, he did have to bulk up on on that film, so it doesn't really matter if he puts on a few over the course. 
of shooting, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 30 days of principal photography. I'm gonna say average three to six donuts a day, and I'm just gonna go uh, 147 donuts. Boom! That's exactly what I have written down here. 147 donuts. You are clobbering it. Dustin. On the nose. I can't I, believe. I'd love to know where you're getting your information, Corny, but I, we can save that for another time. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm, I, I just know my cinema knowledge. I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, I, I do, I just do endless research. All right. Question three. What do we got? Boom. Here we go. Okay. Name the famous movie quote uttered. And this is as a response to walking in on Sally Hawkins bathing with the creature, uh, played by Doug Jones, a Ball State University graduate, the famous movie quote uttered by the great Octavia Spencer in the shape of water as a response to that bathing scene. Oh boy. It's been a while. Let's see here. I did see this film, but let me think. Okay. So Octavia Spencer walks in, they're all, you're getting all sudsy in there. I'm going to say, I guess I'm just going to try to put myself in her character's shoes and say what I would say, which would be something like, um, Ooh, girl, aren't you on Tinder? Don't be, don't get all touchy with the fish, man. Something like that. That's exactly right. Wow. That, I mean, I, I thought I was hearing Octavia Spencer. That, that was, that was an uncanny impersonation. Yeah, well, I, stuff. you know, well just, I, I feel like with a good script like that, everybody's just speaking in a real credible way. So you can kind of predict what they're going to say. I love ad libs in, in movies. Like, uh, I'll have what she's having. I mean, that's a classic. Am I right? I'm walking here. Midnight Cowboy. That's another one. Get it. Get out of here with that. Exactly. So here we go. Question four. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. What was the working title of the doomed children's fantasy from M night Shyamalan starring Christopher Lee and Monique that ran out of money and never saw the light of day. Starring Christopher Lee and Monique. Yes. I, I believe he was knighted. He might've been knighted. Yeah. yeah. Sir Christopher Lee. Might, Sir Christopher Lee. He was. Sure. And let's say, let's go ahead and say Duchess Monique while we're there. Uh, I'm a fan of, of both of them. I don't know. I don't know this, this, uh, you said it never came out, right? It fell apart. Yeah. It, was, it, it, it fell apart at the seams. It ran out of money, unfortunately. And by the time they were trying to get enough money, uh, sad to say Christopher Lee was no longer with us. Well, I'm imagining it's like kind of an odd couple situation. She's real salt of the earth. He's kind of prim and proper. I'm going to go with something like, let's see. Oh, no, you do coo. Something like that. You were, I'm sorry, Duff, but you have a perfect score. I can't believe how you're Oh, doing it was this. called, just... oh, no, you do coo. Because... Uh, did he play Count Dooku from the Star Wars prequels in it? Or were they just kind of referencing it was, those movies? It was spelled a little differently. It was okay. an amazing coincidence. Like like a like a like a movie by the asylum, like a ratatouing or whatever. Up balloon adventure. Yes, and I believe his character was going also to be decapitated. Uh spoilers to anyone who has not seen the Star Wars movies, but uh, I like to call it decoupitated. <laughs> That's my little joke. Anyway, <laughs> That's here we go. Good one. I'm, I'm sure you pull it out all the time. That's a strong joke. Yeah, you can use it. You can borrow that for your show. Feel free. So putting that one in the pocket for later. Here we go. The final question. In an astonishing coincidence, just like Jim Caviezel in The Passion of the Christ, this actor was also struck by lightning while making this December 2021 film about the life of Scientology poster boy Tom Cruise. 
December 2020, so right before the end of the world, at least in the timeline that I'm familiar with, this is a film. I had to do some extensive research for this question, by the way. Right, so, yeah. I mean, I hope you get it. Oh, I remember. Actually, you know what? I've seen the posters. I know, I know exactly who plays. I know who plays Tom Cruise in this film. And it was because it was because of their unconventional casting in, in a different biopic. Kate Blanchett. Final answer. Judges, judges, can I? We are going to accept that. Kate Blanchett. Yes. A perfect score from Duff Dixon right here on his very own show. And my little show, Chris's Pals Lucky Movies Trivia. Oh my gosh, this is great. I, I mark your calendars, folks. Oh yeah, how can they find your show? Corny McHost face to, to see people answer questions about movie trivia and whatnot. Oh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, so I do have a Facebook page uh, that I go through. Uh, you can always see the new episode get posted every weekend. Uh, the Facebook is called Chris Likey Movies. So they go to Chris Likey Movies. That's the best way on Facebook. That's the best way to find your show. Uh, yes. Or you could go to YouTube and go ahead and subscribe to Chris Meyer. Uh, the Meyer is spelled just like the big superstore minus that pesky J. So it's M-E-I-E-R. Chris Meyer, go ahead and subscribe. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Corny McHose face. I'm glad that I came out with a perfect score. Well, you're a great host and a good apple, Corny. Uh, come back on any time. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how this happened, but I like that it did. Ooh. Let's get back to the music. Uh, let's see here. What we got now. You know, when I'm putting together one of these shows and I'm kind of picking the songs and figuring out the blocks, I try not to make it feel like I'm doing like a parody of the year or like a theme party of the year, you know, like, oh, it's 80s night. But I could not help myself and I had to do something that's like 1987 as heck and I had to go and do a hair metal block. We're going to listen to some hair metal, Sunset Strip, Cocaine, Big crazy blowout hairdos, maybe a little bit of maybe a little bit of powder on the cheeks to make those cheekbones pop. We're talking about big riffs, big hooks and choruses, huge harmonies. It's gonna sound 1987 as heck. So stick around for the hair metal block here on Play It By Year with me, Duff Dixon. <laughs>
Block on 1987, play it by year, Duff Dixon birthday year. Uh, you just heard Racer X with Moon Age Daydream before that, Docking with Dream Warriors and Motley Crew with Wild Side. And we started that block off with 10,000 Lovers in One by TNT. That Moon Age Daydream hair metal cover is absolutely bonkers. I mean, they really unlocked the the butt rock potential of that David Bowie original. Uh, hopefully that'll be in your head all evening. Coming into the end of the show, I did have, of course, my birthday topic of this uh, this episode, which was uh, what is the story that your family likes to tell about 
when you were young and uh and I do like to finish off with with one more call. I do have a caller on the line. Let's just bring them in. Hi caller, you're on with Duck Dixon. Who am I talking to? You're on Oh, oh, Duff. Duff, I finally got you. I've been trying to get a hold of you all weekend. Okay, and what's your name, caller? Dude, it's me. You don't recognize me? It's Tad. Hi, Tad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. Do I know you? I'm sorry, Tad. Do, do you know me? Of course you know me. Tad. Remember Tad from the Archangel Project? You know, your coworker. Okay, yeah. I guess we work together at the at the agency. I'm not going to lie, man. I actually don't. I don't remember you, Tad. Um Come on, dude. I work in the engineering department. I have a huge Scarface poster in my cubicle. Tad, you, you, you're going to have to let me off the hook here, man. Like, this is just going to get more awkward the longer we, we try to make me remember. I mean, I, look, I worked for Archangel for like 10 billion years for my shift. But if you recall, I was only kind of in those offices for a, for one day to get like my briefing and then to debrief. So, like, sorry, man. I just don't remember. Oh, man. You know what? That's a bummer. But, uh, hey. I get it. I get it, man. So, um, like, I don't know if you actually know this, dude, but around here, you're you're a freaking legend, man. People talk about you all the time. You are, you, you know, water coolers, all that. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, that's that's cool, I guess, man. Um, yeah, that's I, – I, I don't actually know what I should say about that. And, and, and you know, we actually we, – we, we all listen to Play It By Year. We love it. Play it by ear. All the dudes in engineering tune in every week. We have a group chat. We're just texting along while we listen. We try to listen live. Cool. Love cool. It. So you're just like, you know, you want to like make a shout out, want to come on the show and shout out your boys. Is that what's going on here? <laughs> no, actually, no. Um, this is work related. This is about Project Archangel. Okay. Well, Tad, uh, I gotta say, I'm ki- I'm kind of savoring my retirement at this point. So this is another one of those offers uh, offers to like come back and and do count like consulting work with y'all. I think I'm gonna pass. I'm not really interested in like being a, a you know temp or a consult uh, with the program. But I appreciate it. I'm just not really interested at this uh, time. Dude. Dude, it's totally not like that at all, and I I don't even blame you for thinking that. So you don't need to like be worried because it's not like okay. That. Okay, so so the reason I'm calling is, uh, oh man, how do I how do I put this? Hang on. Okay, uh, I guess it's kind of like a good news, bad news type situation, you know, like from the movies. The good news is that we've been working really, really hard on reverse engineering the recontinuator, and we made some giant steps towards. Building a second one, a little giant steps, a little music reference for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, like John Coltrane. You're a second recontinuator. That's that is big news, man. Because pretty cool, yeah, right? Like if you had two of them, you'd basically you double your chances of stopping the cataclysm. Well, I, uh, no. hey, congratulations, y'all are are quite the think tank over there. I know we got our best people on the job. I'm glad to hear it. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really exciting time over here. Um, now there is a bad news part. Uh, so we were looking around in that recontinuator. We're just talking about trying to figure out how it works. And, um, you know, I don't know what the technical term is, but I think you could say, uh, I think we broke it, you know, like it crashed and it does not work now. And, you know, so project Archangel is dead and it's not happening anymore and we can't stop the cataclysm, you know, like, like we're, you know, like it's done. 
so that so that's it this is that's that's how this all ends like we we lose we get another year and and then like a couple of months after that and then it's done well not necessarily and i guess actually depending on how you look at it this is kind of more good news yo that's a pretty decent ratio now that i think about it one bad news two good newses because it actually turns out we had a total time machine backup of the recontinuator on a usb thumb drive in the storage and so we were actually able to use that to restore it oh okay okay so it is it's fixed then it is fixed okay check this out so it turns on and everything right here is the weird part the backup that we used was made right after you put the recontinuator on your wrist like right after it got registered to your bio signature, but right before you actually started your mission. Uh, so like, since the recontinuator is assigned to you, now nobody else can use it until you come back and put it on and do just one more, another shift. So I'm just giving you a little call real quick, you know? And like, I know, you know, like, what are the odds of that, right? Of, you know, like all of the, of all of the times you're not, you know, it happens to be the one whose brain didn't get fried. Because, you know, like, think about it. If there was one of those vegetable guys who could just snap it on their wrist and boom, send them on their way. And they just have a nice little 10 billion year nap, right? No sweat. Dude, it's really crazy how stuff works out, right? <laughs> Pretty funny. Oh, oh, and I actually have something for the discussion topic tonight if you want me to stick around after this, um, you know. Is this a joke? Because I don't think it's funny, man. I think that's pretty mean if this is a joke. Ah, oh, man, no. Nope, definitely not a joke. I wish it were a joke. I would love it if it were a joke. It's not a joke, though. I'm sorry, man. But I, I, I just... Like a, like a full shift... Yeah, you know, like the standard 10 billion years. You know, like the usual one. Tad, Tad, I, I can't. Right. And that makes sense. Um, but, you know, that is going to mean that, we, you know, we lose and we're all dead in a year. How am I going to... How am I... You know, I, you, I, I actually probably shouldn't say this. You can pro try to go on the lam or something, like hide out from the law... Because you don't come in, I mean, they're totally going to send a squad to come find you and make you, this dude. This is not happening. This is a dream or a hallucination. Dude, it might not even be that bad. Like, think about it. You already fulfilled your duty the first time. You don't even really have to try and stop the cataclysm. You can just hang. Just do nothing. Just kind of, like, wait it out, you know? Do you have any idea how much worse that would be? Do you have any idea what you're asking me to do right now? Uh, I mean, I mean, well, we knew it was going to be bad. When we, when we figured out we had to call you. Everyone was like, not it. And, um, and we drew straws. You don't know stuff. what it's like. You don't know what this does to a mind. You think I'm okay? Every day is a fight for me. Every day I suffer. Every day I struggle. You have no idea what I went through. 
Okay, well, I, I feel like crap for that. Oh, shut up. You don't give a damn about me. You don't give a damn about anybody. You just throw human lives at your problems one after the next after the next. People who, who got up in the morning and they kissed their children goodbye for the last time and they didn't even know they were doing that. Thousands of them and it's your fault. Don't tell me you feel like crap. You don't feel anything. Y'all just y'all just wash the blood off your hands and then meet up after work on Wednesdays at Chili's and drink margaritas. Mondays, dude. It's margaritas Monday. You know, like alliteration. Tad, Tad, what's gonna happen to me? Uh, Am I gonna be like everybody else this time? Am I gonna go away? Is my mind gonna fall apart? All right, so I want to hang up the phone really bad, and I literally am not allowed to do that until I see this part, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I already moved the recontinuator to your area. It's at Fort Irwin. Just be there tomorrow at 8 a.m., and we'll get you on your way. Dad, you got to help me, man. you got to figure out how to help me. Please, Dad, you got to help me. Oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. My heart is racing and my heart is in my throat. What am I going to do? What's going to happen to me? What's, what, what am I going to do? I, I got to... I got to go think. I got to go take a walk. They can't do this. It's not fair. They can't do this. I gotta go. I gotta go.